quick disclaimer before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Uh, due to one of the bands that we are covering today, there is no holds barred for cursing and explicit language. And we normally try to avoid that, but not today. So get ready. bad apparently i actually had to do that you you say had no 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 what i'm saying is like i when i did the first one and my voice didn't break i had to make it break Uh because i just expected it to break Uh uh-huh welcome in everybody all right (laughs) i it took me i'm not even joking with you like 10 minutes this afternoon to decide what song from these three bands I was going to put as the intro song. Yeah. Right, right, right. And then I f- remembered that one. I was like, ah. Right. We're here. We're here. It's a good choice. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Totem Talks. We're on season five, episode 18. And we're yeah. having a blast. We're we hanging are. out. We are live again. We did that. So uh, we'll be. Yeah, don't get used to that. <laughs> we're, we're doing our best. We, we are. are doing our best. Uh, to go live on Thursdays. Not next Thursday, which is Thanksgiving, uh, but we will be releasing our normally scheduled episode that Tuesday and right. all of the fun that entails. Before we get wrapped up into this episode, uh, just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying Totem Talks and hanging out with us, to please like, comment, subscribe, leave reviews, share, any of that fun stuff, that fun engagement that... uh will help us <laughs> grow and spread the word of Totem Talks because we would right. nothing more than for the entire world to listen to our podcast. Yeah. We want we want on Spotify it literally to be like the Joe Rogan experience Totem Talks head to head every week with millions of listeners. That would be interesting. And <laughs> we want we want you know that significantly level. fewer conspiracy theories here. <laughs> Well, significantly was maybe the wrong word. There's fewer conspiracy theories for sure. Fewer. <sighs> but yeah. And uh, maybe in, a, in not this episode because we have no prep for it, but uh, maybe in another couple episodes we'll start to discuss some of the changes that may be coming next season. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We really should and, probably well, we'll get be. on that as we're getting into the yeah, we'll the final third we'll let you of know. episodes. There'll be a little bit of a change, a little right. bit of a mix-up. Mm-hmm. That we'll get into in a good way. Oh, uh, but Nick, you're Nick. Yes. I'm Pat. We're Totem Talks. That's right. And and we're covering three artists. Yes, we week. are. And they are the Climax Blues Band, Tenacious D, and Cheryl Crow. Now, if you know any of these bands or all of these bands, you may know why we had that disclaimer in the beginning of the episode. There right. will be some explicit language Crow. used for Cheryl Crow, of course. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, But yeah, I guess without any further ado, we'll get started by talking about the Climax Blues Band. 
So the Climax Blues Band, originally known as the Climax Chicago Blues Band, is ironically a British blues rock band. You know. <laughs> Chicago's British. Yeah, right? I guess. Uh, the band was formed in Stafford, England in 1967 and has been active ever since. Just perennially active uh, in various forms, people leaving and joining the band. And we covered three albums. So we started with the eponymous debut, the Climax Chicago Blues Band, which was released in 1969. We went to the moon that year. We followed... Yeah, sure. (laughs) We followed that up with Gold Plated from 1976. And then Would You Believe It, Nick... Would you believe it if I told you that we did a third album? I don't believe it. You you don't don't believe believe it. it. What if I told you that third album was Hands of Time from 2019? All right. You've you've wrote me back in. I did, right? I buy that. Uh, So, Nick, why don't you go ahead and get started here? Blues band, a little more your vibe, I think. Sure. Uh, And I will say my very first comment is, like, they are very much who they claim to be. Um, You know, it is... A straight blues band about, as is kind of standard fare here, about 50% of these songs are covers, about 50% of them are original. Uh, But I thought they were all good. Um, I think this was a very enjoyable but indistinguishable listen um, from a lot of the other, you know, like a lot of blues bands are going to sound very similar but I do think these guys were good at what they did. The musicianship was good. They played well on the record. It was enjoyable to listen to as you went. But you're not necessarily going to remember, like, that's their sound versus, like, the original Fleetwood Mac lineup versus, you know, Johnny Winter when we listened to him earlier, you know? Um, I really did enjoy the guitar playing um, throughout this record, a lot of it. So all in all, I do consider this record, it kind of puts them in the higher tier of these blues groups, but you're not necessarily going to get like anything groundbreaking here either. So right. like, if you enjoy the blues, you'll like this record for sure. But like, don't expect music to be changed after it. Yes, I would absolutely agree. I'm going to say a quick hello to Megan who came into our stream. Hello, hello. Uh, but I'm going to continue talking about uh, the Climax Blues Band. And I'm going to agree with you. Uh, and I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> the main agree that I have with, with what you're saying is it is wholly indistinguishable from other blues bands at the time. Gonna be honest with you. Uh, however, like, there were parts of it that I kind of didn't love. Uh, like, the vocals in particular for me were just, for the time period and for the for the songs they're covering, they didn't have that same, like, real gritty vocal that like blues mm-hmm. kind of really needed at the time often yeah and it just it it felt lacking to me and it didn't feel like they filled that void with anything else like it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were doing anything particularly uh inventive instrumentally to cover a slightly lacking vocal all, overall it wasn't a bad sound like he's not a bad singer but right i definitely wished there was a little more if not, like, grit or oomph from him, then maybe another singer, like, where there was at least, like, multiple singers happening. Mm-hmm. And that really didn't yeah. happen. Uh, so, I mean, it, again, it's not bad, but when there's just so many fish in this pond, this was a slightly inconsequential fish for me. 
Understandable. Uh, and I'll go into gold-plated. So gold-plated is a little bit different. Uh, so you're yeah. not really in that, like, stereotypical blues sound anymore. You've gone more into, like, the blues soft rock genre. Uh, and it's definitely, I would say, abjectly stronger in, in like, statement. As in, like, it's mm-hmm. no longer just completely stereotypical and boring. And mm-hmm. I am a little more interested in hearing it. I'm still going to say, like, they're not my favorite group. They're, the vocals still aren't, like, incredible to listen to. But they're starting to do things here that are a little more interesting, a little more put together, st- kind of stretching away from typical blues, which when you're in the mid-70s, you should be doing that. This is when I like to mm-hmm. see people adding on to blues, as I've said on previous episodes. If it was just still standard blues, I would be a little bored. And they didn't bore me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if that's all. Yeah, I agree. I thought this was uh, some definite growth from the first record. It Their blues sound has gotten a lot more soulful. It's a lot funkier. Uh, it kind of is reminiscent to me of a group that we really dug a couple seasons back, Atlanta Rhythm Section. Okay, yeah. I, um, that. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're quite as good as the Atlanta Rhythm Section, no. but that's now like the soulful, funky approach to the blues that they've taken for a lot of the songs on this record. Uh, and I really grooved to it. I thought that was good. Uh, the song Extra, which closed it out, was definitely more of like, it sounded like a classic rock song that was like less overtly blues. Obviously, it's still like based in the blues, yeah. but the kind of song that a, a group like that we've listened to, like um, Bachman Turner Overdrive or something like that might write, as opposed to a song that, you know, the first iteration of Fleetwood Mac or that Johnny Winter or somebody like that would write. Sure, um, sure. And also, it was a short record. Third, like thirty-one minutes, short, sweet, to the point. I enjoyed all thirty-one minutes of it. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, and then I will take us into Hands of Time, which is twenty nineteen, and a lot of time has passed. Yes. Um, and I'll tell you this: Why is it when these artists, um, like have made it fifty years? Yeah. Their last album, they're always like, you know, what we should do. Let's make it like I don't know, an hour and ten minutes. Uh huh. <laughs> it's like why did you why do you do that? Like the record times between like thirty and forty minutes are still the sweet spot for a lot of these bands, and that's what they should stick to. Um, but that being said, uh, this was not a bad listen. Uh, the production quality is obviously way up because all, all the years that have passed, that's definitely something you'll notice yeah. right away if you're listening to them in a row. Uh, and there was nice playing in here. Like one thing that I think is consistent on all these records is that there are instrumental moments. You will always get moments from the musicians that show you that they are definitely very capable. Uh, But definitely you will notice, and I'm sure that you'll talk about it, the vocals, while not being bad or, you know, like painful to listen to, super limited. Like a very, very small range within which he can still make sounds happen. (laughs) So they kind of had to figure out how to write songs around the fact that there is like a five note range that this guy still had left. Um, but the instrumentalists, I still think, do a very nice job. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you hit the nail on the head with the critique of the vocals, and that is limited. They're just, there's just nothing left. And it's not even the same vocalist. It's just another vocalist, uh, mm-hmm. which is, that's the other thing. Like, this band is a typical, like, 
another typical like big band style band with just moving parts almost constantly. You have a couple staples that have been in the band either the whole time or for a very long time. Uh, actually, no, looking at it, looking at the kind of breakdown uh, of the members page of the wiki. Yeah, it changes quite a bit. There's nobody that is correct. That, there's nobody that was in the band when it formed that's still in the band. When it started, it's a completely correct. new group. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. It's not a bad sure. listen, but the vocals are limited. <coughs> and the only thing that I think you get from this album that you don't get from Gold Plated is because you're having a digital recording, as Nick kind of mentioned, every instrument is clearer. When you record mm-hmm. analog, uh, when you have this many instruments, you can kind of muddy those waters a little bit. It's just natural. It's because you're recording with analog tape. And because yeah. it's digital, it's much easier to succinctly and crisply record each individual instrument. And so, therefore, you get a technically better sound, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's, right. this, this band is like, with the exception of kind of gold-plated, completely mm-hmm. paint-by-numbers for the template of what I would expect a blues band from the late 60s to be in its career. Yeah. <laughs> and... That's that. Let's grade them. So here's what I'm going to say. I think name recognition isn't getting them too far. No. I think. Well, in I know terms the one word. Hits, blues. Yes, blues. <laughs> um, it they've been a little bit forgotten to the sands of time, I suppose. Yeah. But they did. To the have, hands I mean, of time. On gold plated. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I said to the sands. I said sands. I know, and I said to anyway. the hands of time because that's their album. Oh, yeah. Um, but Couldn't Get It Right from Gold Plated was a number three hit in the United States. Um, and I Love You, which was released on their 1980 record, was a number 12 hit. So they did have two like significantly high-charting songs, sure. which even though they're definitely out of the cultural consciousness compared to some other one-hit wonders from the time... I definitely think they need to get, like, they're not a point one, is what I'm trying they're to say. They're not a that, point one. Those songs should definitely creep them up closer to one. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I will be extremely generous for you because sure. for I love you. And Thank I will you. give I you a too. point three for both of those songs. And that's the absolute that's highest cruel. I could go. That's cruel. I, it's the highest okay. I could go. Call me when you have a number three hit in the United States. I will. Okay. I will. Uh, Hopefully breath, I'll call you and say, breath of work. Nick, we yeah, have a number three nice. hit in the United States. We have States. a number three hit, yeah. Um, their breath of work uh, consists of, from what I can tell, because it's just, a, you know, it's not like necessarily listed on their wiki or anything. I'm trying to cut aside the ones that I believe are live records or compilation yeah. records. 17 albums. Yeah, we are over the average, to be clear. For certain. Yeah, uh, 17 albums, which puts them at the 6.1 range to start. The sales are not going to be there, so that's going to bring them back down into the fives. And uh, while I enjoyed all these listens, I think I would probably max out at giving them like a .1. So if they're going from a 6.1 closer to like a a 5.5 or something like that, I might give them a 5.6. Sure, and I will give them no points. I won't take away any, but I I won't give them any. Yeah. Uh, Instrumental talent. 
I think that the instrumentalists had moments. To me, this is above average. It's in the fives, but it's definitely above average because <sighs> okay. the guitarist especially, I mean, there was something that happened on each of these records where I was like, oh, wow, that's a really nice lick. Ooh, nice solo. Okay, that sounds really good. Um, So I pulled enough away from it that I've enjoyed it a lot more than some other blues acts we've listened to. Sure. Uh, those are the positives. I echo a lot of what you're saying. Like, the instruments were good when you could hear them they were good they they played well a couple downsides one revolving door of members for a lot of, of this course. so it's hard to nail down who's playing what when and getting that cohesive sound that's one thing and then thing number two is at least two vocalists that you could hear that were just both not great one was limited by sure. age, but also not very mm-hmm. great. And no. uh, the original vocalist for the first two albums was just not that good. Yeah, he wasn't bad. He wasn't he didn't bad. Like me out of the song. He wasn't bad. He wasn't like actively bad, but he definitely no. was a little bit lacking for like a blues singer. Sure, but even taking that into account, I mean, I just think this is a band that deserves to get like a five one or a five two. I'm with you. I'm just we're here to uh we're here to talk about the whole scope. And sure. I definitely would agree with giving them like a five one. They're above average, but mm-hmm. there's a couple things that hold them out of like maybe up to a right. five four, five five. Like there's a reason they're a little yeah. lower than that. Sure. Uh and I think we're gonna be playing that balancing act again here. <laughs> like early in their career, there were definitely a lot of covers mixed in. Later on in their career there were not. Yeah, um, and they've released enough records that I think they've written more than six records worth of their own material. It covers um, for and the that. records, yeah, and the records were definitely distinct. I heard a difference in their sound from one to the next to the next. Sure. Was it a super original sound each time? No, not necessarily. But it was a good sound. Like it's it's a band that I think can stand to hang out right around five. Uh, is what I'm getting at in the long run. I would be comfortable with, I would be comfortable with a five, for yeah. for exactly what you're saying. Like, they wrote the peanut butter and jelly sandwich of blues, but it was a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, yeah. like they used the good peanut butter. You know, it wasn't just like dollar store peanut butter. Like they went and they splurged exactly. a little bit, yeah. but it was still just PB and J. Exactly, uh, and then poetic talent. Um, it's fine. It's the blues. I mean, yeah, nothing, nothing took me out of any of the songs, but it it's wasn't the like blues. particularly complex. They, the covers here are do hurt them a little bit more. Sure, and it's I, I was doing my best to listen for lyrical moments. Didn't mm-hmm. really get them. I thought with hands of time, I may get a little bit more of that like calm reflectiveness that you get right. when like an older band is releasing stuff in the 20 teens didn't yeah. really get much of it it still just kind of felt like the lyrics were slightly unimportant and mm-hmm. i would probably be in like the lower fours yeah and i and i don't disagree with you there. yeah i would be okay with like a 4.2 or something and i'm fine with that uh is there x factor here that you have uh, so they originally were called the Climax Chicago Blues Band, but they're from England. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to let 
everyone know in case there's anyone who doesn't know they called themselves that because chicago blues is a style of blues <laughs> but i'm just i'm i'm trying to give them yes anything. i know they get nothing <laughs> let's move on to tenacious day Tenacious D is an American comedy rock duo formed in Los Angeles, California in 1994, and they are still active today. And so we covered 75% of their overall discography. We did. Uh, We started with the eponymous debut, so we're two out of three. Stay tuned. Uh, So Tenacious D, which came out on September 25th, 2001. When I guess the whole world needed a laugh, to be honest. <laughs> Fair point. I didn't. I that came out before I realized what I was saying, but I stand by it. We, uh, yeah, we followed we it up with the Pick of Destiny, which came out in two thousand six, and then we wrapped it up with Post Apocalypto, which came out in two thousand eighteen. And it's my turn to go first. <clears throat> it is. So, Tenacious D, uh, for anybody who maybe doesn't know, this is Jack Black's band. Um, And this album came out, they had been already reasonably well-known and famous. They were touring with, you know, Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl, Weezer, Pearl Jam, Tool, Beck. Like, they had been opening and, and supporting a bunch of acts uh, like that in the 90s. And then they finally signed with Epic Records to release their album, uh, which is this album. And <laughs> here's the thing. I suspected this might be the case, but I can confirm Jack Black is the best vocalist we had this week. <laughs> I don't disagree He's with that. He's so good. It's like annoying how good he is because... There are some times when he puts some affectation on his voice to be funnier, but when he just uh-huh. like straight up sings and wails, he's got he's such a killer yeah. voice. It's like almost frustrating how good he is at singing. Yeah, I felt the same <laughs> way, especially with the affectations half the time too. It's like, dude, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> um, this album is hilarious. This album contains most of the songs that kind of put them on the map. Tribute, Wonder Boy, uh, Kilbasa, <laughs> which is a really funny one. Uh, then there's a song called Fuck Her Gently, which is one that I like to sing. Eh, not all the time, but sometimes. It's funny. <laughs> uh, it is interspersed with like little sketches. Uh, and that's kind of the whole like Tenacious D experience. You get like a minute or so of a sketch... And then it goes into a song or a couple songs. And then there's like like another like minute or 30 second sketch. And that's kind of like the back and forth. And it's all written by uh, Jack Black and Kyle Gass, his, his duo partner, except for Friendship Test, which was written by Bob Odenkirk, who is better known as Saul Goodman oh, yeah. from Better Call Saul. I suppose. I mean, I know him as Bob Odenkirk. You just know because he's famous and in multiple things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think, I think you know Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is yeah. the way that people might know him. Right. Uh, so this album was hugely popular. It went platinum. I really enjoyed the writing. There's a lot of variants to the songs. 
you go anywhere from like hard rock, almost like metalish grunge rock, to like a much softer, like lilty skit rock. It's almost like a rock opera. I didn't necessarily want to use that word because it gets even more like that in their later albums. But yeah, like even this one is day. like the beginnings of like a rock opera, but this one has no plot to the rock opera. Yeah. Uh yeah. but really enjoy it. The only other thing I'll say is the song Tribute uh is arguably the big song from this album. It's kind of the song that put them on the map was a song that's a tribute to the greatest song in the world but they don't actually say what song it was. They were very famously known when they were live doing this, and then obviously for reasons could not do it on the album. During the solo section in the middle, as they're talking about the song, they start playing Stairway to Heaven. And then obviously you can't do that (laughs) when you record it. You can't have that happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could. You just have to pay royalties. Yeah, and I don't think they were, I don't think Epic Records was willing to pay the royalties for Stairway to Heaven for this comedy duo. Sure. But right. all in all, really well done. You can't take it too seriously. But if you just compare it musically, Kyle Gass, really good guitar player. Like, does a I lot agree. of really good stuff. And because it's kind of just guitar for the most part, except for the drummer, which we'll talk about in a second, because it's literally Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let you talk about who the keyboard's player is. I saw that and couldn't wait for you to talk yep. about it. Yeah. But um, uh, that's it. Fair really enjoyed it. Really had fun with it. Uh, made me laugh even after listening to it a bunch of times before. Okay, so therein lies a big difference between our experiences, because this was my first time listening to it. The only Tenacious D song I have ever really knew is Tribute. Tribute I know uh-huh. well. It's fun. Uh, and I think if I started listening to this when I was like 13 or 14, the way you probably did, I would have had a much different experience with it. I didn't laugh a single time. Ugh. I didn't enjoy the writing. You're it took me out old. of the songs more than it. Yeah. I didn't I like th- lyrically it took me out of it so much. I did I it it didn't work for me. Musically, I think there were definitely some good songwriting moments. Um like you said Kyle Gass is a very good guitar player. Paige McConnell from Fish plays keyboards and Fish is the greatest uh just the best thing that ever existed. Um but man, uh, I did not like this nearly as much as you Ugh, did. You're crazy. It did not dude. connect with me. I didn't enjoy the skits. I didn't really. I didn't dislike it. Just to be clear, like it. It is just an album that was there the for me, irony, and I will never revisit. The irony it. is crazy. I would never listen to this again. <laughs> this entire album was basically like two dudes smoked some pot and wrote some skits and songs together, which is like your dream. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't think it works, like, for, definitely doesn't work for, like, replay value, this gets to me. Uh, it's like, it's like a one-time you experience it the first time, and it's, like, all part of that experience, but it, eh. you don't, re-listening doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't hold up to it. Um, I will, however, say, I have seen the film The Pick of Destiny, and so the second record, The Pick of Destiny, ended up landing with me a lot better. I think the cohesiveness of the story where, you know, it's kind of silly and ridiculous and over the top in the lyrics, but there was a cohesive narrative to it. Like, I could picture the film in my mind and the way that everything was going through, and it felt like a story was at least being told through all the silliness. So I definitely enjoyed this album uh, significantly more. Um, So I otherwise, like, musically, I have a lot of the same things to say. 
Um, Kyle Gass is very good on guitar. Jack Black, when he's not doing weird affectations on his voice, is a very good singer. Um, and yeah, this was this was definitely like a, a significantly better listen for me. I think for the comedy of it to work, I needed a little bit more of the cohesiveness. And maybe a little bit more of the nostalgia for, for the film, which I've actually seen. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you needed a little bit more. I mean, going in blind to the first album uh, is rough because you're a thousand years old. And don't I've, I don't know if I've ever heard you laugh. I literally <laughs> am constantly laughing. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. But... Uh, but no, this that just isn't. It didn't work for me. That's fine. But going into uh, Pick a Destiny, this is where it's a rock opera. Like seeing the movie helps you, like fully contextualize what's happening. Mm-hmm. But if you've never seen the movie, you still pretty much get what's happening. Yeah, like, you definitely understand what's going on. And obviously, you mentioned how how really talented Gas and Black are. And are continuing to do that here. If anything, I would say Kyle Gass sounds even better here. And I think Jack Black sounds the same. I think he does a little bit more of the of the affectation in his voice on some of these songs. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit tough. But it's very theatrical. It's though. yeah, I this mean, is like, super yeah. theatrical. Like this is like almost almost like a rock opera, as I keep saying. Yeah. Uh a ton of really interesting guests on this. You get to hear Meatloaf and Dio in the opening song Kickapoo. Rest in peace to both of them. Uh, if you listened to the first album, you'd hear Dio, the song. Like the 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 guys loved Dio, and so we're yeah. thrilled to be able to get him for the movie and the record. Uh, but you keep going on. You get uh, you get the government totally sucks. Which is a hilarious mm-hmm. one. Uh, you get uh, John C. Riley coming in on this on uh, Papa Janu, which is hilarious. The big one though is another showing of Dave Grohl in Beazle Boss. He plays the literal devil who is in a rock off with them, singing and playing the drums. It's really cool, and this album is a much more cohesive listen, top to bottom. And you're not getting the skits, really, which I think is what helps you. It's pretty much For just sure. fully music all the way through. And yeah. I really enjoyed listening to this one as well. I I probably just musically prefer the first one because um, I've heard it before. And all of those songs, I think, sound a little stronger. But I'm not going to complain about listening to Tenacious D. Uh, so I'll take us into Post-Apocalypto. And this one, like... The Pick of Destiny is tied to visual media. So they had been producing like Tenacious D and Post Apocalypto, which is an animated YouTube series. And so this is the rock opera version of that as well, basically. It's it combines album one and album two into a third album. So you're getting the skits in between the songs. But this gets in between the songs are, in fact, like scenes to set up the songs for this rock opera that they're putting on, which is about like a post-apocalyptic time. And if you listen to some of it, we're not going to get into anything too political here, but you'll understand what this is about (laughs) and why this came out when it did 
and I think it's really cleverly done all the way throughout. I think the fact that they're doing all the voices and the writing and everything is really unique and interesting. And I think that it's maybe overall not the strongest musically top to bottom, but I think that they do a lot more experimentation with different genres and fully characterizing this in a theatrical way that I think makes up for that a little bit for me. Sure. So, um, like you said, I think the best thing about this record is the cohesiveness of the story that it all puts together. Um, but musically, it didn't really grasp me at all. Um, this is a record, again, where it's like I didn't like have a bad time during the half hour that I listened to this, but not a single thing about it made me say, I would listen to this again. Sure. And there were definitely a couple of tracks towards the end where I was like actively hoping for them to be over because they were not good. Um, yeah, uh, it, it didn't do anything for me really. Like uh, the only thing that like the first part of it where I, I was like kind of interested in where the story was going to go, but like that was almost more interesting than the actual songs themselves and all in all, not even particularly interesting enough that I would, I would ever want to revisit. That's fine. That's fine. You're a buzzkill. <laughs> yeah. Tenacious D just doesn't land for me. Hey. It just doesn't land. I, with the exception of the film and the accompanying soundtrack. I'm see. not surprised, although I'm actually, I am surprised that you weren't more into the story of Post-Apocalypto. It was okay. what it was about. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that it was a series. I don't know if anyone knew it was a series. Um, but I found that out, like, literally 30 minutes before we started. But I'm not even, like, particularly... <laughs> Intrigued enough to watch it. <laughs> I, hey, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. That's it's one of fine. Those, it's like it feels like it's a it's a group that hit our generation right in the nostalgia. But since I didn't listen to it at the time, like it doesn't give me anything to grasp onto. Whereas if I'd like been a, into it or more of a fan at the time, maybe I would really dig everything about it. But like trying it for the first time as a 30 year old, it like there wasn't anything there for me. An interesting take, to be sure. Yeah, that's what I, that's how I feel. Certain bands, like pop punk, do you think we would like ever dig any of the pop punk acts or songs as much as we do if we didn't grow up during the golden age of that genre? You know what no, I mean? No, I listen. I, that's how I feel about it the same I way. I get where you're coming like, from. Like, I wouldn't go out of my way to ever hear a Blink-182 song if I didn't grow up in the late 90s and early 2000s. I, I do get where you're coming from. I'm not going to yell at you. You're in a safe space. I just okay, disagree with you calmly, and that's fine. Let's uh, let's grade them. Sure. Um, I think their biggest point is obviously the film, The Pick of Destiny. Um, yeah. So this is a band that, is that has about a them that is the most famous name. If you're naming bands that have feature films about their band, that's a short list. Sure. And starring the, the Beatles band. are at the top of it. The like Beatles eight are at times. the top of it a few times. Elvis is in a few of them as well. Yeah, Elvis. Uh, is in a but few. like that's good company for Tenacious D to be in. Yeah. Also, uh, well, I mean, you can't go wrong with those two. This this does get a little bit of a bump because Jack Black is the lead singer. Jack Black is an A list celebrity, He's a famous fellow, and you're getting a little bit of that push. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, this isn't going to be like a. a I'm not rooting for, like, a 10 here, but I think this is an above-average score. No. 
Not by a ton. Not by a ton. I think, it's the, in... I think on the music, it's probably like the average person might know Tribute. Maybe one other song. Sure, but I do think I do think either name recognition or being like, oh, yeah, I knew Jack Black was in the band. Like, there's enough, there's uh, yeah. enough of that. That I think okay. I'm not. I mean, I could maybe I could maybe have a conversation about being in the fives. Then, yeah, I think that's I think it's like in the me. in the lower half of the fives, like a five two five three. I think that's a good okay. spot for Tenacious D. I'll give you the five three. Okay. Breath of Work is four records. Yes, uh, which starts us off with a three point four. Now, I would say that with one RIAA platinum and a smattering of golds and platinums from other countries. Yeah. They're certainly not going to lose anything. Absolutely here. not. Um, maybe enough to give them like an extra point one bump. I w- yeah, starting at a three point five works. I think. Yeah, um, I'm just going to leave them there. I'm not adding anything. Sure, and I'm going to add point three to it. I think that's a good spot. Very good. Instrumental talent for me is definitively probably their best score because the two main musicians that. Um, comprise the band both are very good at what they do i think it's a slightly limited the, the third album didn't really showcase that nearly as well as the first two did in my opinion okay. um and just like a smidge down also because jack black like kind of intentionally sabotages the like the potential of his own vocals for comedic effect so you don't necessarily get like the grandiosity of what he could do uh, most of the time sure have you ever seen high fidelity nick no, I've read it. Ah, you should uh, you should see the film. I think uh, Jack okay. Black is the book was excellent. yeah Jack Black's in it and he sings uh, "Let's Get It On" at the end, and he just sings it just as a, as yeah. a character. It's really good. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean he clearly has the 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 talent and the skill. Yeah, like that's not a. Here's doubt. the thing: we're gonna get into it now. There's a couple things that really help these guys. One. The drummer that works with them consistently is literally Dave Grohl. It's Dave Grohl. So yeah. they get some points that there. I mean, hurt. he's a de facto member of this group and plays on, on most of their records. Right. Uh, so then you get Kyle Gass, excellent guitar player, really versatile guitar player, as is showcased in the many genres that they play. I agree. And then Jack Black, strong vocalist, again, with a lot of versatility. I know we don't love the affectation sometimes. But yeah. he does a very good job of singing things like heavy metal, does a great job of singing things like acoustic pop all the way throughout that spectrum. He's got a very versatile tone to his voice and a really excellent range, which I don't think we really I touched agree. on. I mean, really excellent range, even up into his falsetto with a song like Wonder Boy. Mm-hmm. Really strongly done. Yeah, I don't have anything negative to say about their ability. Yeah, I'm just, I want to be clear that like, this is a comedy duo, and it would be very easy to write off the comedy duo. As... No, to me, it's their best score. Yeah, and it should be. It's it's a very high score. I don't know where you're sitting. I could be in the sixes here. Uh, I have no problem being in the sixes. Yeah, I would be um, probably yeah. around a six and a half. Even I think that's a good. And spot. that's what I'm. T- that's what I've already typed yeah. in because uh, I agree with you there. Uh, I think the strength of the, their songwriting comes from what you've said, which is uh, the versatility there. Yeah, a lot of um, versatility. They're definitely uh, the issue with it is that there's four albums instead of six. True. Um, and for me, uh, a lot of the skit stuff could could go. Um, 
I don't know how how much that gets factored into like a, as counting as actual. I songs wouldn't count the skits as songs. as so much as like poems. Yeah, I, guess. I mean, like when we did. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, Pete Pete Seeger. When we did Pete Seeger. Yeah. And we did add 89. We weren't like talking about his spoken word stuff during it and being like, yeah. well, right. like we didn't even count that right. as part. I'm of just saying thing. like for some of their album for like a handful of their albums like almost half the content are like it's like a song skit, song skit, song sure. skit. I, so I just I feel like that. it had to be addressed. I understand. Um so I'm okay with being over what four albums would get us. Um I'm not like insanely high or anything like that though. I understand. Uh, so, I mean... To, I'd be okay going up it to the fours. And I think that's a good spot. I think the versatility and a prowess in multiple different genres and songwritings, I think, is a really good strength of theirs. And I think mm-hmm. it's a strength that, like, comedy people wouldn't necessarily even think to do. Right. And so I really enjoy that. I'd be fine going, like, a 4-1, four, 4-2... Four, Oh, okay. I was going to say, I, like, I, I don't have an issue because it's four albums and not three. It's not like half. It's like two-thirds. I would have been okay on, like, the four and a half. Oh, well, I'll go up. I, I'll yeah, go I up don't, to a four yeah, and a half. I, think, I like it. I think they can go up here. Yeah, I like for it. sure. Uh, now, I think this is where we're going to have a We're going to have a disagreement here, and I understand. that. I understand. Yeah. Bef- I will let you counterpoint me then because my point sure, that I, I want to make ahead. is I understand they write vulgar. They do. Which doesn't necessarily I know. Me. They write vulgar throughout, but I think they do a really good job, especially on the first album, of making you feel like you're in the room during the skits, like you're just hanging out with the band. And I think they do a good job of writing very like epic tales, even though they're writing about stupid shit. Like, Tribute is this epic tale of... Of a demon and a song and cra- and it's just mm-hmm. like so absurdist, and I think a lot of their humor is so absurdist, but I think they write it very well, and they write very cohesive stories in a lot of their songs. Wonder Boy is very cohesive, and it's very absurdist and theatrical. Uh, you have a song like like again, Fucker Gently, which is super absurdist and it's like what are we even it's so like in your face with vulgarity same thing with kielbasa which is a total joke writing but it's like catchy i think they do a lot of good stuff with that and then you get further into the film side of it and they wrote a very cohesive album and soundtrack to go along with a feature-length film that kept you immersed the whole time and then you go even further into post-apocalypto where they wrote an entire rock opera again and experimented with mixing actual messages into their absurdist humor, which were subtle, but were definitely there. So again, I'm not arguing a crazy score here, especially since it's only four albums, but there are definitely some solid points to strength of writing, even if you particularly didn't enjoy it. Okay, so all I would say to that is, um, well, you're kind of describing the the entirety of the product, like the full song, the full album. Uh, so think of that as like you're praising the book, right? 
to like overall it was a really good book you like uh-huh. you laughed you cried you enjoyed the messages of it and i'm sitting here looking at the individual prose sentence to sentence and i'm like this is garbage i am not enjoying the style of the writing at all like sure. the writer is just not connecting with me the jokes did not land for me you know that's that's the difference i, I, I understand like, that it's i'm not looking at it word for, for word you. and it and i didn't enjoy it like i actively was just like huh for like a lot of lyrics, particularly in the first album, right? But here's like like I'm like I think that there's a very big difference between actual bad writing and writing that we don't relate to, and we've had that that discrepancy on the podcast before, where it's like this just straight up missed me, but I it's not poorly yeah, done. I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, so to further where you're going with that, like someone who is like a terrible storyteller if they're retelling the greatest story ever told that's sort of what i'm getting here like it, like i would rather read a a 10 page short story by ray bradbury about the wall because he is such a a magical writer with his prose as opposed to like you know a really a bad storyteller who just doesn't know how to tell the story telling a great story to me, Tenacious D was like, like you're saying, like the products, the end goal, like things were being accomplished, but the way that it was told was not good to me. That I mean, I definitely disagree with. That's you just on what that. I'm trying to say. That, oh, that's fine, and that's I fine. Just, I that's don't fine. agree with you on that. Right. So to me, this would be losing points. To you, it's obviously gaining points. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think it's. it's I think it's, it's really strong. I think it's really strong writing throughout. I think the songs are both catchy in lyric like if you are a fan of this band if you've heard these songs before you can probably recall the lyrics to these songs pretty easily they're catchy and i think they mix absurdism with uh at times a a unique message okay i mean look it's a it starts at a 3.4 Maybe you you love it more than I hate it, so I could go slightly higher than three point four, but like not a lot. All right, well, let's give them a three point five then. Okay. Uh, and now I know we want to talk X Factor. I'm sure you want to talk about it, um, like a lot of their like political activity and projects and st- things like that. that yeah, uh, I mean, this is involved with this is a group that has definitely been involved. They've also become a lot. I want to say because of Jack Black and also because of just who the band is, have really achieved a lot of great things. The feature-length film is a very interesting thing that a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't have. Uh, This band also, we didn't even get to mention it, but I do want to discuss it. Their cover of uh, The Last in Line during the Ronnie James Dio, like, benefit concert to raise funds for cancer won a Grammy. It was like a really well done uh thing about that. I think that it's hard to like discuss exactly because I don't want to just go crazy. But they are super huge supporters of legalizing cannabis and weed. They which makes sense with listening to the albums. Yeah, I mean obviously. Uh they've also like They've also done a lot of behind the scenes work and like funding documentaries to to like cancel out the Rockefeller drug laws and are really against like 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 crazy long prison sentences for like small drug offenses. Uh, They've been 
actively supporting uh, Democratic candidates almost exclusively since as early as 2004 uh, with John Kerry, then Barack Obama, and then doing stuff like that. Uh, the Donald Trump presidency is actually what inspired them to write Pocus Post Apocalypto. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of political activism from them. Yeah, I figured. Uh, they they agreed to uh, boycott Arizona due to laws concerning illegal immigration mm-hmm. in 2010. So the this is a group that is definitely they're they're over, overtly political. Yeah, they've they've really put their stamp on being overtly political. Mm-hmm. At the same time as being absolutely absurdist. Oh, so I think just like a little bit. Yeah, here for, like a point for their two. work. Mostly for, yeah. And now we can finish up with Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Suzanne Crow is an American musician, singer, and songwriter. And she has been active since 1987 to the present day. We covered three albums. We start with. Tuesday Night Music Club, so no eponymous debut from Sheryl Crow, which came out in 1993. However, we followed that up with 1996's Sheryl Crow, which, if I'm not mistaken, is this the second week in a row that we got spoiled by a second album being the eponymous Mm -hmm. and not the first one? That is correct. Crazy. Yeah, Red House Painters. (laughs) Yeah, like that's just weird to me, but that's fine. So that's from 1996, Sheryl Crow. And then we wrapped things up with Threads, which came out in 2019. And Nicholas, you are kickling us off. Perfect. That's what I was hoping to do. Okay. Um, so, like, going into this, my knowledge uh, of Cheryl Crow was, was very low. Um, uh, quite honestly, it was, it was a Rod Stewart cover. The fact that she was with Lance Armstrong, I'm pretty sure. And then the uh, the Netflix documentary on Woodstock '99, uh, and how sorry I felt for her trying <laughs> to perform there. Um, that makes sense. So I put on this album not really fully knowing what to expect. Um, it starts with "Run, Baby, Run," which was I'm like, okay, this is like kind of a solid pop song. So like maybe that's what I can expect here. Uh, and then "Leaving Las Vegas" comes on next, and I'm like starting to question. Can Cheryl Crow sing? Okay. Thank God. I will discuss it as well. But I was legitimately yeah. like, "This is she's a bad singer on some of these songs. Is she? It's like yeah. she's like a werewolf. Uh-huh. Like sometimes yeah. she sounds good and pleasant and decent, I, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like a dog barking in the back. It's it's so weird. Yeah. How? Uh huh. Like the two extremes of her voice are. Yes, it was bizarre. So, like, every other song, I'm like, okay, maybe she can sing. Maybe I'm just being, like, a harsh critic. Maybe You know, that's I'm going too far. And then I'm like, wait, no, I don't think she can yeah. sing. Like, just back and forth was my whole experience for this record, which, like, I feel like it could have been a fine record. And it was obviously super successful, yeah. so I don't want to, like, and I didn't hate it or anything like that. But there was something about the mix of this record that did not sit right with me. Like the production and the mix felt off. Um, like every, like it just, I was struggling with it. Like, and I've heard like Alex say this kind of thing before where like the mix on a record was so not right that even like the quality of the songs didn't matter because it was so hard to get past not enjoying the mix and feeling like the music was just off all the time. 
And that's how I felt. Like, I almost feel like I can't give an honest opinion of how good or bad the songs were because I was so distracted by, like, it feeling unsettled by the way that the mix sounded to me. Sure. Uh, I was just taking a look here, and you know what's hilarious, Nick? The guy who mastered this album mastered Mm -hmm. another album that I think you might have heard of called Asia by Steely Dan. Which is one of the greatest I know, mastered what, albums of all time. That is what I, I. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "That's it's like literally crazy perfect. to me." Also, also yeah. mastered. Also was involved in Thriller. Yeah, and uh, let's see, anything else really good? A very successful project for uh, Speaker Box from Outcast. In my room by Jacob and Collier, yeah. like very well mastered. Wild! Well, I, I saw Asia. I'm like, Nick absolutely yeah. loves Asia. It's one of the greatest albums of all time. So, did you have this problem I did. too? Was it just me? I did. Uh, okay, the the ones that were, the ones that stood out as good were kind of the hits, basically, uh, because obviously after listening to this, all I want to do is a huge Cheryl Crow song, uh, right. which I wouldn't have necessarily known. And strong enough is another big one from her. Like I didn't know. Really that. No. interesting. I okay, that's fine. Uh, but there's a couple hits on this album. And it's the hits are good and mixed well, but yeah, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. The mix on this album is just off. It's like they don't yeah. know. I just think they don't know what she is. Like, is she mm. is she country? Is she blues? Is she pop? Is she rock? What is what are what are they trying to fit her into? And it's just right. like they tried to keep it as open as possible, and it was weird. And. Mm-hmm. Again, musically, musically it is pop, and nothing really jumped out at me as like a musical wow moment, except for the wow can Cheryl Crow sing, which I was not expecting. Yeah. Up in the air, not totally a question I was record. expecting to have, knowing what I know mm-hmm. about Cheryl Crow. Right. I've never questioned whether or not she could sing until I listened to that mm-hmm. album. So I'll go into Cheryl Crow the album now, and this album is. A little bit more concise, as in, in the couple of years since the first album came out, they have figured out that Cheryl Crow is a rock, country rock, folk rock artist, and is a, they're a little bit more sure of who she is. Uh, they're not sure that this album should be should be shorter though, because it's almost an hour long, fifty six minutes, just whew. But uh, it's the production is a lot better on this album. And the other thing that's better on this album, which I think incorporate, which I think is what makes you know a little bit more about Cheryl Crow and her vocals. Cheryl Crow is a much more confident singer on this album, which means like maybe the first album, she just was not sure. Maybe she wasn't sure if she was a good singer yet. And she gets into this album and is you can hear the power in her voice. It's much louder, much more confident all the way throughout. Really enjoy it. This is her other big song, which I expertly performed at the beginning of the podcast, if it makes yeah. you happy. Right. Uh, which, that one. And then also Every Day is a Winding Road is another big one for her. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, a good number of Sheryl Crow hits. The other big thing that we didn't mention before is she was credited as a writer on almost every song in the first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not always as the first writer, but always on them. 
Yeah. And she's pretty right. much typically always the first writer or only writer on these songs. So she is Correct. continuing to be uh, both involved in the writing or the writer and growing as an artist and musician as well. I liked this album significantly more. Mm-hmm. Although, although, to be clear, it's not really my genre. <laughs> Like, sure. I'm not going to sit here and be like, I love every Sheryl Crow song ever, but I do recognize yeah. that there's a good use of, like, stream of consciousness lyrics, which mm-hmm. is a style of writing. I'm okay with it sometimes. Sometimes it, it's a little... It, this this genre of lyric writing can definitely miss for me, because if I don't dive into your stream of consciousness with the writing, it'll miss me. Unlike a story song where... I can enjoy a story song pretty much regardless. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, she does a good job with it. Yeah. I think our, our feelings on this are pretty much um, the same. Uh, significant improvement. Her vocals are more consistently good. The mix is significantly better. Uh, she's finding herself a little bit more as a songwriter. I think this album, like right away, my instincts after the first song or two were like, okay, this is this is a good yeah. record. This. I, like she's found. I don't want to forget to mention this album did win two Grammy awards. It won best rock album, and she won best female rock vocal performance for "If It Makes You mm-hmm. Happy." Yeah, and it's currently ranked at four seventy five on Rolling Stone's top yeah. five hundred albums of all time. Um, and yeah, I don't really have anything else to add that you didn't say, so I'll move on to threads, uh, which is super interesting because we've seen this before. It is. An album where she is collaborating with a bunch of other huge artists. Yes. Stevie Nicks, Bonnie Raitt, Mavis Staples, uh, Chris, Chris Stapleton, Stapleton, Chuck well, D., we Eric do this Clapton. Because there's Sting. a few of them. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Johnny Cash, Neil Young, Jason Isbell, Keith Richards, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Joe Walsh. Uh, it goes James Taylor, Vince Gill. Uh, and all of these people are valuable to have on your record as musicians. Um, And I actually really like this quite a bit. Um, I thought it was a really cool experience listening to how she works. I think for the most part, she kind of has accepted who she is in her style. Yeah. Uh, You know, like that's kind of matured and solidified here. And it it works really nicely for her. I, I felt like some things were super powerful, like Redemption Day and using the Johnny Cash vocals mixed in with hers. We'll like, discuss. Uh, yeah, I think I think it went over really well. Cash's vocals are like very uh, haunting on that song, for sure. Um, and then there was like the story of everything, which is the one with Chuck D, Andre Day, and Gary Clark Jr., and I'm like, this should not work. Like, nothing about this collaboration and the style should work. But the writing was actually really good on it. And it, like, 70% worked. It should have 0% worked. And it, like, 70% worked. Yeah. Which is not a bad well, um, Gary Clark Jr. place to be. He's Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, so, it, and Steve Jordan co-wrote that song, yeah. too. Fabulous drummer. Um, but I thought this was good. I, I enjoyed the song. The songs on here, I enjoy the collaborations. I think she mostly worked very well um, with the people that she chose to bring in. A really cool Bob Dylan cover, Everything is Broken, with Jason Isbell here. I think he's also a valuable contributor and an excellent writer in his own right, even though we've never covered him. Okay. 
But anyway. Yeah, listen. Uh, a lo- I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying here. Um, the collaborations were mostly great. Uh, really loved Tell Me When It's Over. Her and Stapleton's voices worked really well together, yeah. uh, which I thought was really interesting. And then, of course, you're getting, you know, like Stevie Nicks. As you mentioned, I'm not going to repeat all the names, but I thought a lot yeah. of them were really strong. Uh, I'm going to be 100% with you. The Joe Walsh song was not good. Well, I don't love Joe Walsh's voice, as we mentioned when we covered Joe Walsh on the podcast. That one really took me out of it, especially when it was like Keith Richards, Willie Nelson, who, not a great voice. We know. We love Willie. Not no, a great but voice. But if you write him correctly. Exactly. If and you I write think him correctly, they did he's here. He was, he was lower mm-hmm. in his register. It was just kind of like, you know, pleasant. Then Chris Christopherson, mm-hmm. uh, again, Chris Christopherson, good vocalist. Legendary, Legendary songwriter. songwriter, good vocalist. So you had three like good country-ish acts. I didn't I, I kind of missed in my brain remembering right now the Jason Isbell vocal or Jason Isbell inclusion. Sorry. Okay, yeah. But yeah, Joe Walsh. I, we can skip him. Um sure. but James Taylor, Vince Gill, a lot of really good stuff. Excellent. Yeah. Super, super powerful song with Johnny Cash. Like yeah. I couldn't imagine you disagreeing when I started to say it, and you're like, we'll discuss, we'll discuss. I'm like, Pat can't disagree with how powerful that was. (laughs) It was super well done. And it was one of those things where I had heard that song. I'd heard Johnny Cash do it, because that is the the same uh, music that he was coming out with right before he passed away, when he came out with Hurt and uh, things like that. And yeah, he came out with Redemption Day. So I'm hearing her do that. And I didn't pay attention to who wrote the songs that he was doing. I knew it was a, a basically a cover album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I looked and I was like, oh, written by Sheryl Crow. And then I'm remembering, like, we literally listened to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, whoa, what it, What just happened? Like, we just, like, literally the last album, I, I didn't even piece together in my brain that we just listened to it off of Sheryl Crow. It, her doing Redemption Day. And that she re-recorded it to make it a duet with Johnny Cash. And it was right. really well done. Though It was really tastefully done. Like, when they chose mm-hmm. to, like, have her sing with him, when they gave him his own, like, space, when she took over. Like, it was really well done. A really good homage. It, a really good mm-hmm. way to take her own song that she wrote and make an homage to include him on this list of legendary collaborators. Right. Really well done. Yep. Really enjoyed this album, uh, except for the Joe Walsh song. I thought this was really sure. well done. Yeah. yeah. We're in agreement yeah. then. So it's time to grade. Cheryl Crow is a so, household name. I will say this. Cheryl Crow is a very famous person. <laughs> Cheryl Crow yes. is a very famous person. Uh, she I has agree. been around. It's certainly an above average. Yeah, game. this is probably the highest score of the day. I would um, I would say that, you know... We're not necessarily talking incredibly high, um, but I think we're definitely talking easily in the sixes, and I could be talked yeah, up I from agree. the sixes if you think that is possible. Um, I, I would say high sixes up to a seven is totally yeah, acceptable I think she's, for someone with her amount of success. She's somebody that everybody has heard of by name, has probably heard multiple songs, and mm-hmm. that's... Whether you know it yeah, or not. Yeah, whether you know it or not. Um, also, 
she I no, we'll talk about that later. Sorry. Okay. Where do you want to go? Either a high Let's six or a seven. seven. Let's go to a seven. I agree. Breath of Work uh consists of eleven studio albums, which starts at a five point eight. She has sold in her career fifty million records approximately, which is gonna bring her up into the sixes. Yep. I would argue close to close to six and a half, maybe like a six point four. Yeah. Uh, and I think if the first two albums cancel each other out with below average for the first one and above average for the second one, and I'm just assigning points uh, for the third album, I'm at least going to give her a point one here, I think. Okay. Or up to like a 6.5. Yeah, and I was going to give her a point two, so I think I think a 6.7. So 6.7 it is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. Instrumental talent. Okay. <laughs> so I think... This, this is so weird. It's weird, right? Uh, she is a very competent musician on several different instruments, yeah. which is definitely worth pointing out. The music on this, on these records in and of itself was never played poorly. I mean, like, yes, it was mixed poorly at times and hard, hard to appreciate. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't because the musicians were bad. I don't, they weren't, like, outstanding. There weren't, like, mom- moments on every record where I'm like, oh, wow, okay, this is, like, an above-average musical right. band. Um. And her voice at times was really bad, but it was mostly good. But only the good. first album, I thought. But only on the first yeah. album was it bad. You're right. She got some voice lessons after that first album, and she ended up being very good afterwards. Yeah, it was. It was so really I weird. I've never. <laughs> it's bizarre. I've never been very confident in somebody's vocal talent before, and had my my entire faith shaken that hard in an album. Yeah, I, like it I've, is, it was bizarre. I've gone into. To bands we've done on the podcast, knowing that the lead singer was bad or knowing that the lead singer yeah. was good and like kind of knowing that and being fine. But I've never been like, yeah. was I wrong? Am I just wrong yeah. about Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. What number are you thinking, it's though? Super strange. I, I think it's somewhere in the fives is probably fine. Yeah. I'm not going to push her under for that, but I, I think we'll we'll push her probably a little bit over on the vocals and, and the versatility. Sure. I mean, I'm fine with like um, a five, but in the fives. two. And that would be totally fine. Uh, I also think the songwriting, for the most part, was solid. Sure, sure. Um, it was clearly very popular. There were definitely moments on the records where I was either like, okay, maybe that one shouldn't have quite made it to the final cut. Like, if you have an album that's an hour long or 50 minutes long, maybe you narrow it down for your strongest yeah. stuff and release that one as, like, you know... As a bonus track, yeah, I mean she she does not do that. She is no, she is really. I mean her. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like if you minutes. want your tightest, right? If you want like your tightest 45 minutes, like your absolute best stuff on the record, yeah. like there were definitely moments where I felt like one or two songs could have been those like bonus track cuts or like compilation of unreleased material yeah, that happened in your career. Uh, but there were also moments where I was like, hey, that's a pretty good song. Like that's a well written piece. So at the end of the day, it, it, it makes me feel sort of like I'm at a five. I don't know about you. A pure five, I yeah, I could live at a five. I agree. There's some positives and some negatives, which kind of balance each mm-hmm. other out. Yeah. Uh, and poetic talent, I think we can agree that there were particularly on the the last album um, some moments. I think there was yeah. there was some stuff that was well done. Um. 
like I said, it didn't she stick out has... as strong on the first couple of records as it did on the third sure. for me. Uh, if I'm being honest, well, she didn't write the lyrics on on the lot on a lot of the third album. Sure, because <laughs> it was it was covers and write and other stuff as well for some of them, and you know, there's yeah. there's some stuff. I mean, but I'm I'm talking about the stuff that she did write, sure. or at least you know, I'm with was you. co-written but co-wrote. I think that she writes well within that whole stream of consciousness lyric writing that I was talking about. Uh, she makes it kind of easy to immerse yourself in the moment. She writes with feeling. So it's like when she writes a song, like if it makes you happy, like that song is done in a way where everything about that song kind of sounds sad, except, mm-hmm. you know, it's a song about like, you know, does it actually make you happy? And that's a song to like, mm-hmm. you know, sing when you're or listen to when you're like crying into your pillow. And but there's also like right. all I want to do is have some fun, which is like a song to play when you're like driving to the beach. Like she, well, all I want to do is a, is an adaptation of a poem that she didn't write. It's a Win Cooper poem. I don't care. No, it's fine. <laughs> I believe you. No, I'm just. Yeah, it is. It's a poem that she she turned to song. Well, now I hate her zero. But <laughs> okay. I'm saying she does. She I don't know. What do you think? A little a bit, little over, bit over average fine. here. Yeah. It's it's not crazy, but I think I would be fine giving her like a five point three here. I think this is a good, strong spot. Yeah, sure. Uh, in terms of X Factor, she wrote a Bond song. That's what I was going to say. We gave X Factor to Billie Eilish when she wrote a Bond song. Yeah, and yes, we she did. wrote a Bond song. Tomorrow never dies. And uh, other than that. Uh, I mean, the only other X Factor is she's won nine out of 32 Grammy Awards. So she's been nominated for literally 32 Grammy Awards. That's crazy. Uh, Yeah. She is an extremely successful singer. Also, we didn't even mention uh, I Want to Soak Up the Sun, which is another huge song from Mm -hmm. her. Didn't even get to talk about that. Also, uh, my favorite karaoke song to sing with, uh, quote unquote, hashtag DJ Steve. Uh, if you know, you know, is a picture with her and Kid Rock. The worst person yeah. on earth. Well, well, hold on. One no, of the worst, the worst people on, on earth. earth. He's just the worst, though. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that song cringe. is fun to sing at karaoke. Sure. Uh, but I I don't know if you want to give X Factor for anything else other than the Bond song. Uh, I guess that's fine. What are we giving that? Like a half, maybe? We can give it a half point, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a lot already. <laughs> But that's fine. All right. Uh, I have final scores, Patrick. Okay. And they are this. You know I don't know which button In third it is, place. Right? I know. In third place. You loser. With a score of 20.2. Uh, it's the Climax Blues Band. Okay. Okay. Good job from them. Yeah. And uh, winning this week. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. With a score of 29.7 is Cheryl Crow. I think to no one's surprise. I wonder if it makes her happy. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, <laughs> Tenacious D came in second today with a 23.8. A respectable score for a four-album band. I agree. And please come back next week uh, because we are going to be discussing James Blunt. Oh, man. Well, yeah. I know what song I'm opening the podcast with, then. I have a good <laughs> feeling I know, too. 
Uh, great. Listen, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us here. Uh, thank you for those of you who tuned in live. Uh, make sure that you do that whenever you know we're live. You'll never actually find out when we <laughs> just kind of do it when we do it. Uh, but that's something we're going to be working on hopefully next season. Maybe having some type of, of I don't know, schedule would be great. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We'll figure it out. Uh, but thank you so much for hanging out with us. As always, you're all incredible people, and we love you. And uh, that's about it. Uh, stay safe for these holiday seasons as we're getting into the end of the year. And make sure you are drinking water just regularly. That's also super important. And also, have a great day. <laughs>